0: Susan and Bromwen and our elders went to um, a mathematical conference yesterday with John Lennox, I believe. Uh, so I thought to follow that up this morning, I will uh, speak about um, some mathematical applications for biomechanics. <laughs> okay. Maybe not, maybe I'll stick with my topic that I've been given. Um, if you've got your Bibles with you, please turn to uh, Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. I've been given uh, the topic uh, of Jesus as a servant for this morning. Uh, so we will we'll be thinking about Jesus the servant. and um, It was a little bit of a challenge because I'd been given the whole of the book of Mark. Uh, now I want to be home uh, before Wednesday night. Uh, so um, if you've got your Bibles with you, um, turn to Mark chapter 10 verse 35 uh, until uh, verse 45. And that will be our focus point uh, for this morning. We will be using different verses, so please keep your Bibles open. Uh, but We will be focusing um, on chapter 10 verse 35. As we read, I kind of just remind you that this is the word of God. That what we are listening to, what we are thinking about, is the very word of God himself. Mark 10 and verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, Let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the 10 heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great, whoever wants to become great among you, must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So just pray. Father God, as we. Think about your word this morning we come to it humbly we once again acknowledge that it is indeed your word that has got authority over our lives that is binding to our lives Father, we thank you uh, that you've given us this word and we pray now that by your spirit you would teach us and you would show us the way we pray that in jesus name amen, amen. Now in preparation for today, uh, having been given a topic of Jesus as a servant in the Gospel of Mark, um, I set out to find examples um, of Jesus serving in the Gospel of Mark. And I started reading uh, in verse one, uh, in chapter one and verse one. And I expected to see many examples, uh, but I was a little bit surprised that actually I found uh, the very opposite. In fact, when we um, go to chapter one and verse one, uh, it says this: Mark says the beginning of the Gospel. About Jesus Christ. The son of God. <laughs> and compare it to a few other verses. Let's go to Romans 1.1. It says Paul. A servant of Christ Jesus. 2 Peter 1.1. 1, 1. says Simon Peter. A servant and apostle. Of Jesus Christ. James 1.1. 1, 1. James. A servant of God. And the Lord Jesus Christ. Jude 1 1. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ. You see, whatever we turn in the uh, New Testament, all these books, the authors are introduced as servants of God, servants of Jesus Christ. And what do we see here in Mark 1 1? Jesus Christ, not a servant of God, the Son of God. So we already see here that there's something different going on. Now, if you've got your Bibles, just uh, track with me. We're going to go through a few verses in, um, in, in the first couple of chapters. We start in chapter 1, and I want to show you, uh, I want you to, to see uh, that Jesus is actually being served uh, by others, and that he is the one who's in authority. Chapter 1 and verse 7, we meet John the Baptist. Now, remember, John the Baptist, um, Jesus said about him that among um, those born of women, nobody was greater than John the Baptist. So, this was an important person. But he said, John the Baptist that is, after me will come one more powerful than I, the tongues of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. John the Baptist says, I'm not even worthy to be a servant. Verse 13 of chapter 1, Jesus is in the wilderness and being tempted by the devil. It says that angels attended him, or angels served him verse 17 jesus walking along the uh, sea of galilee and he he, see, he sees peter and andrew and james and, and john and he says come follow me there's not a question that's a command what did you do at once they left their nets and followed him verse, tw- verse 25 um, jesus meets a, a man who's possessed by an evil demon and he says come out of him again a command what happens the evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him. Verse 31, um, Peter's uh, mother-in-law was in bed with a fever. Uh, she wasn't well. Jesus took her by the hand and the fever left her and she began to wait on them. Both the fever and Peter's mother-in-law are now serving Jesus. Verse 41, he meets a man with leprosy. He says, be clean, again a command. There's not a question, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cured. So Jesus is served by John the Baptist. Jesus is served by, by men, by women, by angels, by demons, by diseases. And that's only chapter 1. And let's just track a little bit further. Chapter 2, we see that Jesus has authority over sin. And later he teaches that he is the Lord, or the authority, over the Sabbath. In chapter 3, we see that Jesus is calling his disciples and he's renaming some of them. Now, renaming somebody was actually a sign of authority over them. Chapter 4, Jesus is in a boat and the, the storm is raging around them and he says, Be still, and even the wind and the waves serve him or obey him. Chapter 5, even the dead obey and serve him. When he meets uh, Jairus' daughter who, who had just died, he says, Little girl, get up. And she gets up and starts walking about chapter 6 Jesus is sending his disciples out to go and preach the gospel and it says that he gave them authority to drive out evil spirits now you can only give authority to somebody else if you have got it yourself in the first place chapter 7 Jesus is declaring all foods clean Now something that had been written in the law was that certain foods weren't clean and Jesus is changing that in other words Jesus has got authority over the law. We can go to other examples, but what I want to impress on you is that in these first kind of seven and a half to eight chapters, we actually see that Mark emphasizes that Jesus is the one in authority, and Jesus is the one who is being served, not Jesus as a servant. In fact, the people uh, recognize that too. In chapter one and verse twenty-two, we see that the people were amazed at his teaching. Why? Because he taught them as somebody who had authority. Even his enemies, even the Pharisees, they came to him and asked him the question, teacher, where do you get your authority from? They recognized he had authority, they just weren't sure where it came from. So I hope you um, are now settled with the fact that Mark presents Jesus as the one who is in authority. And it's not until chapter 8 and chapter 9 and chapter 10 that Mark starts to explain the teachings of Jesus as his servant. (coughs) Now, one question that we can ask here is, why would Mark do that? If he wants to show Jesus as the servant, why would would he want to spend seven and a half or eight chapters trying to establish his authority and showing that other people are actually serving him? Why would he do that? I think part of the answer um, uh, to to that question um, is the consideration of who, who Mark is writing to. So, if you uh, remember Mark is writing to um, a Gentile audience, uh, it's actually very likely uh, that he's writing to the church in Rome. Now, what is the Roman ethic? Um, Hannah and I have just been to Rome last week, and uh, when you walk through the streets of Rome, there's no exaggeration. Uh, it's almost uh, the smell of victory. Uh, literally, on every street corner, uh, there is a, a memorial of some kind of victory in war. Uh, There's a statue or there's a fountain or there's um, a building uh, or or there's something that reminds you um, of the victories of the Roman Empire. And that was the the ethic there. We are Romans, okay? We go out, we conquer other countries, uh, we dominate. We are the ones in charge, we are the ones in authority, and other people serve us. So you see that if Mark would have simply portrayed Jesus as his servant, it would have been very easy for the church in Rome uh, to misunderstand that and to say, okay, Jesus just another God uh, who would serve us. Just another God who we can subdue and does for us what we want him to do. And Mark really shows us here in these first seven and eight chapters that in order to correctly, uh, correctly understand um, the servant character of Jesus, we have to actually keep in very sharp focus and um, that He is the one who is in full authority. He has authority over the natural realm. He has authority over the spiritual realm. He has authority over our lives. Now Jesus is worthy to be served, not the other way around. Now it's actually very easy to get, to get that mixed up, and we see that in our text this morning. Um, James and John uh, had seen these miracles. James and John. Had seen what Jesus had done and seen his authority. And yet, when we come to our text this morning, they ask us, uh, they ask Jesus this question We want you to do whatever we ask. That's a bold question, isn't it? To go to God and to say, Do whatever we ask. They'd seen the miracles, they'd seen the actions of Jesus, and actually understood his power. They understood that Jesus could do whatever they asked. They just didn't um, submit to his authority. They didn't consider his will. Instead of saying, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, they wanted to subdue Jesus to their will. Now, I think it's very easy to start criticizing James and John here, isn't it? It's very easy for us to sit here and say, James and John, wrong question. How, can, how could you do that? But when we are honest, it's not often how we approach God. Isn't that what we often do in our prayers? We only consider what we want, and we don't consider what the will of God is. What God wants us to do. What God wants us to ask for. Do we not often treat God in this very same way as James and John do here? But notice Jesus' reaction as well. He's actually very calm, isn't he? He says, what do you want me to do for you? He could have stopped James and John right there and said, that's a very wrong question, okay? Um, he could have stopped them in their arrogance and, and basically exposed them and said, don't you ever dare ask me a question like that. He's actually very calm and, and lets them pose their real question, because the real question, the real question is, is, he had to come. So they go ahead and, and they say, let us sit at your left and your right hand in your glory. In other words, they say, we want places of, of honor and of power in heaven. Clearly they haven't really got the message that Jesus had been teaching them in, in chapter 8 and in chapter 9. When you go back there, um, which I suggest you do, Jesus is actually te- teaching them and he says, if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. Now instead of becoming last, they actually ask to be first, so they do the very opposite. And what does Jesus say here in, in response? He, again, doesn't cut them off, but he starts teaching them. He says, you don't know what you're asking for. Can you drink the cup that I am going to drink? That's a strange reply, isn't it? They're asking for uh, positions of honor and of power and of glory. And, and Jesus starts talking about a, about a cup. What has this cup got to do with James and John's request? What is this cup that Jesus is actually talking about? Well, in order to understand that, we have to go back um, to Psalm 75. Psalm 75, verse 8, says this. In the hand of the Lord is a cup full of foaming wine mixed with spices. He pours it out, and the wicked of the earth drink it down to its very dregs. So there is a cup, it's full of foaming wine, and it's in the hand of the Lord. Now you might ask a question, what is this wine? I'm glad you ask. Revelation 14 and verse 9 says this. If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives its mark on their forehead or their hands, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. It is the wine of God's fury, the cup of his wrath. That is the cup that Jesus is talking about here. The cup of God's fury. The cup of God's wrath. This is the wrath of God that is being unleashed from heaven against all unrighteousness and all ungodliness of those who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. It is the, it is, sorry, it is the cup of God's judgment of sin. And now we can understand why Jesus is saying to James and John, you have no idea what you're asking about. You don't know. What you are asking can you drink the cup that i will drink on the cross can you be baptized uh, with the judgment of god that i will experience on the cross can you bear the weight of punishment uh, for sin of the whole world and really to, to ask that question is, is already to answer it they couldn't it was sinful men. james and john could not take this burden and really here we start to see something of jesus his servanthood you know He came to do what only He could do. Nobody else could do this this job. Nobody else could take this role. Only God Himself could take the wrath of God. Only the perfect, the sinless, the spotless, the blameless Son of God could drink this cup. Only Jesus could do this. Remember as well, it would have been very easy for Jesus not to do this. He was not obligated in any way to do that. But instead, Jesus Christ... The perfect Son of God obeyed God the Father in doing what only He could do. Again, I think there's a lesson for us here to learn. In a very real sense, um, we've all uh, been given a job that only we can do. You've been given um, certain gifts and skills that only you've been given. We've all got a unique set of of people and of uh, circumstances that we we come in, in contact with. We've all been given a unique place in the world. Uh, what only we can serve i don't have your gifts you don't have my gifts i don't meet all the people that you meet you don't meet all the people that i meet so we've all been given a very unique place in this world and a very unique way to serve god notice also that um, jesus is actually saying this to james and john he's saying yes you will eventually sharing in the suffering and the death yes you will have a role to play it's not the same thing that i'm going to do but yes you will an involvement. It's not to earn their way into heaven in any way. Uh, it is not uh, to gain a place of honor in heaven. But it's to show that in their new lives and in our new lives as Christians, they have now fully committed themselves um, and their, their lives to the service of God himself. You see, service is not optional. As a Christian, it's not an option to serve God. In fact, it's a requirement for every Christian. So let's move on then. When the others, so the other 10, um, heard about James and John's request, they were, I think we can say a little bit upset, to say the least, the word is actually indignant. Um, I would have loved to be there and, and seen a little bit of a, um, maybe fist fighting going on. I don't know uh, what the situation was, but I can imagine the, the disciples uh, getting a little bit red and, and um, aggravated, to say the least. And I think we can understand that, right? After all, you know, they'd, uh, James and John had tried to get one over on the other disciples and um, that, was, that was not done but Jesus again starts, starts teaching them he, he started to, to calm them down by showing the right attitude now one thing here to notice as well is that Jesus is a master teacher okay? he does three things, the first thing he does um, he shows them what not to do don't do this then he shows them what they should do and then he gives them an example illustration so, negative denial, don't do this. Positive assertion, do that. And then he paints a picture for them. What does that look like? He says, first, do not be like the Gentiles. Do not be like the unbelievers who lord it over others and exercise their authority over others. Do you see this word authority again? Jesus says, says don't be like them. Don't be like those who exercise their authority over others do not do everything within your power to try and and be somebody uh, to to try and puff yourself up you see to be a great christian Mm -hmm. is not about status or power but it's about serving christ in all the things that he commands in fact jesus says if you want to become great you must become a servant if you want to be first you must become a slave and notice again jesus doesn't condemn Uh, the the desire to be great the desire to be great in god's eyes is actually a good thing we should all desire to be great in god's eyes it is just that to be great in god's eyes is something very different from being great in the world's eyes in god's eyes becoming great means to be a servant to be a slave even the smallest um, and the lowest and um, actually having no recognition and no reward at all Not seeking any personal pride or personal gain, but simply to be faithful for that unique job that God has given you and has given me in this world. In fact, Paul, the Apostle Paul, describes becoming a Christian like this. In 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1 and verse 9, he says, um, he he praises the the church in Thessalonica (coughs) he says that uh, when they became a Christian, what they did, um, it was that they, they turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. You see, to become a Christian means to become a servant of God. Paul actually reminds the church in Corinth of this as well. Uh, We've gone through this in our Bible studies on Monday nights. He reminds the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 4, and he says, you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries of God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust, must prove faithful. Again, this service is not optional. We must be faithful. We must be faithful in our service to God. And when we do, we we, we don't gain any rewards or something. We simply follow Christ in his ultimate example of servanthood. We see that in the few final verses here. Jesus says, Even the Son of Man himself Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, even Jesus with his ultimate authority, even Jesus performed the greatest service of all by going to the cross. He took the curse and the punishment for sin. By doing so, he didn't just set an example for our service, no, actually he paid the ransom. He paid the price. He paid the price to buy us free. Now remember that cup. Remember that cup that Jesus spoke about before and when he said to James and John, you don't know what you're asking? See, that those who confess Jesus as their Lord and become his slave will never have to drink that cup, ever. Isaiah 51 and um, verse 22 says this. See, I have taken out of your hands the cup make you stagger from that cup the goblet of my wrath you will never drink again you will never drink again if you're a christian here this morning that is that is liberating to know that through faith in jesus christ we never have to drink the cup of god's wrath that sets us free doesn't set us free to live for ourselves it sets us free to live for Christ and to serve Him. To to conclude then, finally, I uh, just want to um, do a little bit of a test with you this morning to see um, whether we understand what we've actually learned this morning. You see, when we look back on history, uh, we can um, look back and see how everything has gone. And I just want want you to consider, just in your mind for a few seconds, who do you think was actually the greatest? Was it James or was it John? Just think about that for a few seconds. Who was the greatest? James and John. Think about John. He wrote five books in the New Testament, right? We've got the Gospel of John. We've got the three epistles of John. Um, He received the great revelation, uh, which we always uh, marvel at, at least uh, a little bit. We've got. uh, We know John that he probably lived into his his nineties. He was the only apostle who didn't die for the faith. Who wasn't martyred like the other apostles. In fact the Bible tells us that John was the apostle whom Jesus loved. Surely this was a great Christian, wasn't it? What was it his brother James? What do we know about James? Okay, that's probably the only thing that we know about James. Very little. Okay, the only thing that we know about James is that by, I think it's Acts chapter 13, um, that he's dead. We know nothing about his, his life. We don't know what he did. He lived in relative obscurity and he was killed by the Roman sword, possibly beheaded for the faith. Very likely that he was still in his 20s when he died. No, no records in history, nothing about his life, and nothing about his, his deeds. What we do know is that he was martyred and that he followed Jesus Christ into death in his service to God. Do you see that it's very easy for us uh, to get this wrong? We so easily look at worldly accomplishments. I'm not saying that John wasn't a great Christian, by the way. You see, greatness in serving God does not necessarily look great from the outside, from a worldly point of view. However, one thing we can be assured of is that when we serve God, when we do that faithfully, then one day we will be welcomed with these words. Well done, good and faithful servant. So we'll just pray together and then In response um, to that we will sing this is our God the servant King. Father God as we think about these words this morning we um, think ahead and we envy hearing those words from your mouth well done good and faithful servant. Father when we examine our hearts this morning we know that so often we have been unfaithful to your words we have been unfaithful to the service that you have called us to do we pray that we might be re-encouraged once again this morning to serve you with all our hearts that we can speak with those words that joshua spoke as for me and my house we will serve the lord amen, amen.